You're listening to Brave New Space. I'm Robert. I'm Keegan. And we're going to share with you all things new space and beyond. Why we started this podcast. Brave New Space is about sharing insights and perspectives on the business and commerce of all things space to global investors and entrepreneurs. And we want to encourage more investors, entrepreneurs, and policymakers to consider participating in this space renaissance. We have our special guest today, Jeff Garzik. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So Jeff is the co-founder of Block and Space Chain, and you've had an interesting history, probably a lot, a little bit different than other space entrepreneurs. Can you, can you give us a little bit of a, a brief summary on your, um, your background? Sure. Well, again, thanks for having me. I have really come in from, I'd say, the nerd side of things, software engineering specifically. I worked at, I've, I've kind of been fortunate to be a little bit ahead of the curve on uh, several so-called information revolutions. I was early on the internet. I was uh, early on this thing called Linux, which is now in just about every phone and data center. And I was early uh, on this thing called Bitcoin. And that's that's really been uh, the intersection of uh, space and these new decentralized systems, these new decentralized currencies led to uh, some of my efforts with uh, space chain in the Bitcoin blockchain and space arenas. So, Jeff, you're not only not a stranger to the role that the software revolution has ultimately played in space, but you are, in in fact, a fellow convert from the software community into the space community. And this is why we wanted you on the show, after all, because this episode is all about how the big data revolution has ultimately led to this fertilization of a whole new ecosystem in new space. But let's uh, turn back the clock a little bit to, you know, about a decade and change ago, when we first started seeing a lot of these Earth imaging companies, a lot of these new space satellite companies really come out of the woodwork, the spires, the planet labs, and so forth. Their business models were all heavily based on being able to provide being able to provide large quantities of imaging data for the big data revolution. These were not traditional satellites who were trying whose primary customer was NASA or uh, the military or some very very niche uh, communications provider as we saw with some with a group like say Iridium. From your side of the table, what examples can you think of uh, were the early use cases for data analytics and satellites, and who were kind of some of the first uh, significant customers that you were aware of? There are, I'd say, under 50 large customers, broadly speaking, but they're they're very hungry customers. Mm. And that's a vastly different uh, tuning of your business model than if you're looking at a million customers and uh, it's more of a long tail type environment. Well, in this business, we tend to consider 50 customers to be a lot of customers. Uh, Absolutely. Normally, normally, your choices are the government, and that's it. So this is a... <laughs> like I, I like to describe rockets as uh, essentially fancy FedEx trucks, it's a very positive signal for an industry when things get boring, and specifically meaning when normal businesses start to consider uh, near space and beyond as part of their normal business operations where there's a clear business advantage outside of just, you know, uh, people like myself being an enthusiast, there's a clear economic advantage to their business without any goodwill or added enthusiasm. 
that's where the industry starts to see some real traction. And I think that uh, that's where the space industry is now. On your personal journey, how did you go about doing this sort of call it customer or business development? Um, we didn't really discuss, but you had an effort that you had attempted a few years ago called Dung Vaden Space Systems. And was that sort of your market test to, to kind of a, a precursor or, or catalyst for Space Chain? We'd love to hear a little bit about that origin story and what was the enzymatic for to get that going? It was. I, I think that that's, that's the best uh, way to cast that. I, I can joke about it now. The startup uh, failed to launch in this space and all sorts of puns. It was uh, shooting for a specialized kind of computer for uh, these blockchain networks. It was called a node. And each node in a blockchain network has an entire copy of uh, a particular ledger or database uh, in that spacecraft. And so it's highly, highly redundant. If you have six spacecraft, you have six redundant copies of that database. And so it's very much suited to space operations and it's very much suited to uh, data resiliency and backups but in the in the va the parlance of uh, Silicon Valley, it was uh, too early. So it was very much a an egalitarian vision, a vision of bringing space to every uh, STEM student and lab in uh, the world. Obviously, that has to have a cost component and a successful business model component attached to that, and that's that's sort of where it fell short. But at the same time. It provided that philosophical impetus for uh, Space Chain, which has currently uh, picked up that torch and is carrying it on. Thanks, Jeff. And, and that's also that business is being done in a not-for-profit model. Is that correct on Space Chain side? And maybe you could discuss how Space Chain and Space Cash relate to each other. Absolutely. So uh, Space Chain is a foundation based in Singapore. And its goal is, at a very, very high level, bringing the principles of the blockchain to the space industry. Now, uh, that's, that's very vague, so what does that mean? Blockchain as a technology is built around consensus in that computers have to coordinate with each other in an automated fashion in order to come to a consensus on this decentralized ledger that is what blockchain technology powers. Now, we take that as a theme. And growing up in uh, as a child in the U.S. Uh, in the 80s, it was very much a uh, sort of geopolitical uh, competition, the U.S. versus the USSR. And, you know, your younger listeners will have no idea what I'm talking about. But in the 80s, it was uh, U.S. v. Russia, and that extended to space. And it was a very big deal. I don't know, Jeff, that sounds awfully familiar to where we're in today. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very big deal to, for example, have Russians and American astronauts on the same space station at the same time. And there were many, you know, photo ops in space of cosmonauts and astronauts shaking hands. And the reason why that was a big deal is because of that geopolitical history, geopolitical competition. Well, we're kind of seeing the same thing today, as you just mentioned, with the U.S. and China. And my co-founder at Space Chain Z is, uh, he's a Chinese citizen, I'm a U.S. citizen. 
And we both very strongly believe, and this is one of the principles of the foundation, that consensus is at the core of space cooperation and how we're going to to move forward as a species into space. That's one of the principles of blockchain at a technology level. That's one of the principles of our foundation at in terms of what projects we look to sponsor, how we uh, look to interact with commercial partners as well as non-commercial partners, and how we uh, reach out and uh, try to educate people about space, space settlement, and uh, science, technology, and math education. Jeff, I'd like to pull it back a little bit now because we've heard a lot about you know your experiences uh, in the space industry coming from a more software-focused background. So from those lessons you've learned, do you have any advice you'd give investors and entrepreneurs looking from the computer industry that are looking to get involved in the space industry? I'd say now is the time. Make the math work on the spreadsheet in terms of business model. And you can now do in software what has never been possible before in terms of uh, being able to access space, being able to access space-based platforms, being able to network space-based platforms together. And that's really opening up the new opportunities for uh, businesses that are based on, uh, for example, interlinking and providing services for uh, these large constellations coming from Amazon, OneWeb, and SpaceX. There's going to be a whole set of services going through those networks. What fascinating new idea do inventors have that can apply to those networks. It's kind of like 5G, which is, uh, I think, a little bit overhyped as where we record this. But at the same time, what kind of business would you build? What kind of app would you build? Could you invent if you had a massive network that could deliver a vid- you know, a HD video at the blink of an eye, that could deliver a uh, Fortnite video game with massive responsiveness across the entire globe? The possibilities, I think, for developers, entrepreneurs, investors are, are only limited by your imagination. Things have uh, economically just been infeasible until now in terms of access to space and putting objects up into space. Travel to the moon is coming very soon in the next, uh, definitely within the next 10 years. And as that becomes more standardized, regularized, you will, uh, without exaggeration, be able to FedEx packages to the moon. What can you imagine then is, is a possibility for a new business or a, uh, a new project or a new uh, nonprofit of closed source software? Thanks, Jeff. We've uh, talked about how there's sort of like 50 plus customers in the new space industry right now and how that's significant. But where do you see what what sectors of the economy do you see space data being most prized right now? Who's re, you know who are those customers? If we can't name company names, let's at least look at you know who are the bigger use cases because there's a few examples that I can immediately think of. I know Walmart is actually a big consumer of space data, and a lot of companies like them like using it, uh, being able to take advantage of services like what Planet Lab offers to be able to image the whole planet and be able to provide them information on throughput in their parking lots and be able to know just uh, how to better design essentially the holding pen for for their customers from one day to another. Do you see space data being used primarily 
for very consumer markets like that? Or is it somewhere else that you think the biggest value is being held? Well, it's in it's ultimately in, you know, what networks can communicate to what networks. IoT, uh, the Internet of Things, is, you know, again, billions of uh, tiny devices. And one of the, the technologies that Space Chain specifically is uh, working on is a uh, very low power, low bandwidth transmitter, which can reach devices such as a mobile phone from space. And when that sort of uh, transmission becomes possible and low cost, then that enables you to uh, track a, an additional billion data points uh, or trillions of data points in terms of, you know, every buoy in the ocean or uh, every container on a container ship. Mm. It uh, really ups the order of magnitude for any device with an RFID chip in it. So you could say that the future of the big data revolution in space is uh, enabling not necessarily you know, an Internet of Things on a city scale, but a true global Internet of Things. That's the next big vertical, huh? That's exactly right. And you need to go outside of the Earth's surface in order to efficiently communicate across, uh, you know, from one side of the Earth literally to the other side of the Earth. I believe you mentioned shipping a couple seconds ago. That was actually an interesting point. J.P. Morgan released a, an estimate on where the value really lied for SpaceX's Starlink satellites. And one sector that uh, I had not considered at all was how a global internet source would be able to enable better communication and tracking of uh, international shipping. You know, we, the, the big joke for about Starlink am among some folks was like, oh, congratulations, uh, Elon Musk is now bringing internet to 70 to the 70% of the Earth's surface that is full of water. Well, for the shipping industry, that's got to be a big deal, being able to have access to high-speed internet like that at any point on the world's oceans. Absolutely. And that and, you know, I fly globally on a regular basis. And there are huge, huge dead zones for uh, internet access. This would open up new routes, potentially for uh, both shipping as well as flying. It opened up new areas for settlement on uh, in more remote areas. So I think that you know my my favorite example of how computers change the surface of the Earth is uh, goes back to Google Maps when Google Maps was uh, first introduced. There was a uh, in a small town in North Carolina. I think it was Sanford, North Carolina. There were uh, two Starbucks across the street from each other. And Google Maps always routed travelers by one of the Starbucks uh, and not the other, just based on the way the turns worked and there were a couple one-way streets, etc. And uh, one Starbucks got just slammed. They got more traffic than they could handle. And the other Starbucks was uh, largely deserted. And if you fast forward that movie five years, that Starbucks closed. And then if you fast forward that movie another five years, the uh, side of the town that was not receiving the Google map routing had notably lower property values. Nobody wanted to build stores there. And the opposite effect occurred where uh, Google Maps uh, routed the traffic. And it was really interesting to visually see this in a town that I knew and at the back of it, what's driving it are these mapping algorithms that uh, MapQuest and Google and Bing, et cetera, 
would take. And that's how big data can start to impact uh, where we live and how some of these new space networks can impact how and where we settle, how and where we ship. You know, we can monitor places and communicate with places that we've never been to before. And that opens up uh, new opportunities for physical developments, literally reshaping our Earth. Not only giving people opportunities to build in places they never could build before and develop new markets entirely, but also enhancing the capabilities and services available to those that are already in use. That's right. And uh, cost optimizing because you have much greater depth of view into your current inventory, your current supply chain, you know, as containers uh, move around the globe, you have that stream of data that you never had before. And because you have new data, you can take new actions because you're better informed. I'm going to go back to the, the point, the RFID. So, Jeff, you're working on a way so that satellite, your satellites will be able to transmit to RFIDs almost anywhere on the globe? It's RFID-sized chips. So they need a power source, and currently RFIDs do not need a power source. So that's a, a key technical difference. Okay. But it's uh, very low power, very low bandwidth communication from a solar-powered nanosatellite down to a uh, mobile phone-sized computer or embedded device, traffic light, buoy out in the ocean, that sort of thing. Cool. Maybe, Jeff, you could share a little bit. Those who are not familiar with blockchain, they understand that it's decentralized, but why it'll be an improvement for economics and, and commerce, because let's let's face it, some people see blockchain as just kind of a the buzzword. They don't necessarily understand it. But w what is the game changer that's going to bring you know more peace, more prosperity for us on, on the planet? Maybe this is more philosophical. Yeah. So the the creator of Bitcoin, uh, pseudonymous uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, he wanted to create a decentralized money a money that was not tied to a Federal Reserve. And in order to create a decentralized money, the inventor had to invent a technology called blockchain. And blockchain utilizes uh, a number of different computers that collaborate on a peer-to-peer -peer network to maintain a decentralized ledger. A ledger of accounts of who owns how many Bitcoin. That was this, this shared ledger technology, this decentralized ledger technology, was the key to creating a decentralized currency. Now, space people are very familiar with decentralized. Almost every spacecraft that's launched, it has redundancies. If you have one computer that one flight computer that dies, you've got a second redundant flight computer that can jump in. Blockchain technology is built on a similar scenario where every single computer has a complete copy of this ledger. And then it utilizes some fancy uh, digital signature technology to uh, verify updates to that ledger called transactions. And where all this is going is that this technology brings decentralization and decentralization helps eliminate single points of failure, which is very important in uh, spacecraft and running space and as a check and balance for people who might be bribed or otherwise uh, corrupted in the process of handling transferring money. 
you know, the history of banks, the history of money is a history of thievery and a history of uh, corruption and greed. And this is in small part trying to uh, push back on that and create a uh, provably honest system of accounts. Alrighty, Jeff, thank you so much. It was great to have Jeff Garzik on Brave New Space. And Jeff, where can people find you on the internet if they want to learn more about, I guess, they can look up Space Chain. And I think you're active on Twitter and, and where else? Yeah, they can uh, visit uh, block, B-L-O-Q.com or spacechain.com. Or I have a fairly active Twitter, at jgarzik, J-G-A-R-Z-I-K. Fantastic. All right, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. So I want to thank everyone for listening to Brave New Space today, and we had our special guest, Jeff Garzik. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, listener. My new book, Space is Open for Business, is coming out soon. And I want you to get a sneak preview of it. Head on over to my website, robertjacobson.com, for a first look. On one of our next episodes of Brave New Space, we're going to be talking about the IPO of Virgin Galactic. 